The following audio is from a sermon series entitled The Sacred Life. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love and participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, We're in a series called The Sacred Life, and what we're learning about is identities uh, that we have as believers. And the sacred life uh, consists of a few different things that we've already talked about. We've seen that we are family. We've been adopted in by God, uh, that he has grafted us into his family, not because of any performing or pretending that we did, uh, but according to Ephesians 2, 4, because he is rich in mercy. And because of that, uh, we've, we've been adopted and we serve and we have uh, full benefits as heirs with Christ. And we've also seen that we're missionaries. Uh, we are people with a purpose. And Justin showed us last week from 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20, that we are agents of reconciliation. Uh, we're going out into a world uh, in, a, in, a, in an attempt to preach that message, to be reconciled to God, that people would come and they would be restored to a right relationship with God, and uh, that we would be missionaries sent out into our culture to restore things to God through Jesus. So uh, these are identities that, that not only make Sacred City who Sacred City is, but it makes us who we are as believers. These are things that believers should identify as uh, even outside of Sacred City. These are things that you should see in all believers. You should see believers being family. You should see believers being missionaries. You should see believers being servants. And and uh, even learners, as we'll learn about next week. And we make such a big deal out of finding our identity in Christ because when we find our identity in other things, we proclaim a different God than the God who actually is God. You know, when we claim our identity as, as a, a father or a mother, or if we claim our identity as um, our job, we're displaying our work as our God. If we, just, if we find our identity in our kids, we're displaying our kids as our God. And that's a pretty actually dangerous spot for our kids to be in, for them to be uh, our God. And so we want to make sure that, that you know and that we know that our identity is in Christ. And we proclaim to the world that everything about us is found in Jesus so much so that we, like Paul, might say what he said in Philippians 1.21, that we could say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But as I stand before you this morning, like, I know that that's not easy. I know that that doesn't come easy. I think it, it, it might roll off our tongue easy, but it's hard to do, to identify ourselves as, as some of these things. 
So as we talk this morning about being servants, for those of you that are visiting, it's our hope that you would see these things in us, that you would see us being family to each other, that you would see us being missionaries to the culture around us. Maybe somebody was a good missionary to you, and that's what brought you here today. Or maybe you saw how well we were doing at being family, and that brought you here today. Or maybe like today, someone served you in such a way that you had to come out, come out and find out more about it. So we're glad you're here to be part of, potentially be part of this family of missionary servant learners. Would you pray with me and we'll, we'll get started in this this morning. Father, we love you. We're thankful that you are who you are and that we are who we are. God, we pray this morning as we tackle the identity as a servant that we would humble ourselves before you. Father, that we would realize that being a servant is actually the most beneficial thing that we could be. Father, we we pray that this morning we would see how Christ has served us and it would change our hearts and change our minds and we would become more like you this morning. God, we pray that you would uh, help us to focus on you, help us to put the plans of our weekend uh, kind of in the back seat right now, Father, and that we bring you to the front and we would see uh, what you'd have us see this morning. God, I pray that you would uh, speak through my words this morning, Father. I pray that uh, any notes that I've prepared this morning that aren't of you, that you would uh, just... Just take them off the page, Father, that you would help my thoughts to be your thoughts and a clear message of the gospel would be presented this morning. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So talking about being servants uh, isn't necessarily a a topic that I would have uh, chosen to preach to you about. Uh, Being a servant isn't usually something that that I usually uh, refer to myself as right off the bat. Like if you ask me who I am and what I do, uh, usually I'm not going to tell you that that I'm a servant first and foremost. And for most of you, the same is probably true. We like to tell people what we do. We like to tell people about what we have. We like to tell people about where we've been. Uh, but, But bragging about being a servant isn't something I usually find myself doing. But as we look through scripture and as I look through scripture, I believe that we'll see today that there is a truth that we are being, that we are a servant. And in fact, it is our identity in Christ. We are either servants of sin and death or servants of Christ that leads to eternal life. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I came across passage after passage that showed that we are, in fact, servants of of people that have come before us that have claimed that they're servants, that have claimed that they're slaves to Christ. And then I also went outside of that a little bit and started to grab uh, some books of martyrs, books like Fox's uh, Book of Martyrs, Jesus Freaks for all of you like 90s children that that were like forced to read that in youth group. and, And it's probably still on your shelf somewhere. Like I grabbed those books and just story after story of men and women and families uh, laying down their life to become martyrs for Christ. Those that uh, instead of backing down when they were uh, persecuted for their faith, instead of saying, no, 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 that's not what I believe. It was people that said, no, that's absolutely what I believe. And it cost them their life for the cause of Christ. And story after story of men and women and families that just laid their life down. And I came across an example of a guy named Sanctus, and I chose his story because just, I mean, what a name, right? Sanctus, okay? Around the time of uh, 177 AD, it was reported that this guy was brought before the Roman governor uh, for his faith. And when they began to question him, he had one answer for every question that was asked of him. They asked him, what's your name? And he said, I'm a Christian. When they asked him where he was from, he replied, I'm a Christian. When they asked him if he was a slave or a free man, he answered them, I'm a Christian. No matter what question they asked him, his answer was always the same. Even to the point of his day of execution, he was forced to run the gauntlet. He was forced to sit in a chair of burning iron. He was chased by wild animals in the amphitheater, and his dying words were recorded as, I am a Christian. 
And what a testimony for us. Like, I think about myself in that, and, and, and maybe some of you are thinking about yourself, and I, I think, like, is that me? Is that something that I would do? Would I back down? Would I stand up? And as I stand before you, like, I, I really believe that I would keep claiming that I'm a Christian, but I've never been chased by wild animals. I've never had to sit in a chair of burning iron. I've never been put in a situation like that, but yet when this guy was, he claims, I'm a Christian. His whole identity, his name, his citizenship, his social status is found in Jesus, is found in Christ. Serving Christ was the sum of his entire existence. And my question for for myself in that, and I hope a question that you'll hear was, what would change for me if I saw myself as a servant of Christ first and foremost? What would change for myself if I saw myself first as a servant? Like how would a person live if they believed they were served by Christ and that was my prayer for, for myself, and that was my prayer for us as we began to walk through, like, what, what is a servant? Like, what does it look like to be a servant? Do I see myself as a servant? How would my life look different if I did find myself as a servant, if I did view myself as a servant? So with that in mind, if you have a Bible this morning, I'm going to ask you to grab it and turn over to Philippians chapter 2. If you didn't bring one with you, there's probably one on your phone you can get for free. Uh, There's also one on the floor in front of you somewhere. And then if all of those resources are not available to you, just awkwardly stare over the shoulder of the person next to you. Like that that should work and and it'll be okay. Okay, we're family here and you can do that kind of thing. So Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. And I believe that in Philippians chapter 2, you and I see a bit of the mind of Christ. Christ, and we see the gospel that Christ lived out. In Philippians chapter 2, we're going to see Jesus as a king, but Jesus didn't come like other kings came. Jesus didn't come with a big military presence. He didn't come with riches. He didn't even come with land. We're actually going to see that Jesus didn't even come to serve himself. So to start this morning, we're going to look at verses 6 through 11, and a little bit later, we're going to go back and find ourselves in the first few verses. So Philippians chapter 2 this morning, verses 6 through 11. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What we begin to see in Philippians chapter 2 here is a king that's radically different than anything the people at this time and even the people of our time have ever seen before. We've never seen a king that's come this way before. Like this king doesn't puff his chest. This king doesn't show off how great his armies are. This king uh, doesn't empty the storehouses of riches he has available in order to show off his power. This king actually takes the exact opposite approach. This king lowers himself, showing how a true king acts on behalf of his people. In verse 6, we're told we see here that Jesus has authority that is rightly his, but refuses to grasp at it. So we're told that Jesus does have a reason to puff his chest. Jesus does have massive armies available. Jesus does have riches like the world has never seen before. But instead of grasping at all those things, he willingly lays those things aside. He doesn't exploit them for personal gain. He doesn't say, look at all the stuff I have. Look at how powerful I am. Look at who I am. Jesus isn't trying to become God here. 
If you remember all the way back to the garden, there was a dude named Adam. And Adam was trying to be like God. Adam was grasping. But Jesus uses his authority instead to benefit people that can offer him nothing. You won't find kings doing that very often, benefiting people that can offer them nothing. Kings will generally go after people who can benefit them greatly. You have some type of service they need. You have an army they need. You have riches they need. You have something that they want. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus isn't looking for anything. Jesus comes to serve people that can offer him nothing. Verse 7 goes even further, tells us that he emptied himself. We see that he empties himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus here is God in the form of a man, and what he does is take on the form of a servant. Now, like, listen to that. Like, don't just read that. Don't hear me say that. Like, Jesus, the Savior of the world, was a servant. To our world, to a watching world, to the world at this time, to the world standard, this is foolish. This king has power. This king has rights and privileges. This king has uh, money and, and, and riches that are available to him, but he becomes a servant, takes the position of one wearing a servant's robe. Think about that. A servant is a slave. Slaves don't have rights. Servants don't tell other people what to do. So someone with all the rights and privileges in the universe veils them in order to free his people from their sin. Justin always kind of has a saying around the office and around here when, when something kind of ridiculous happens, he'll say, what in the world? And whenever we hear, like, I don't know, maybe nobody else, but when I hear that, I'm like, something important just happened. You're like, what in the world? Like, why would this king do this? Why would we see this? Like, why would he humble himself? And, and think about myself, like, why would I humble myself? This king humbles himself. Why? Well, if we keep going, we find out a little bit more. We move on to verse 8. Being found in human form, Christ is fully man and fully God in the flesh. He possesses all of the human attributes that you and I possess, yet he never sinned. Verse 8 goes on to say that he humbled himself. This is another way of saying what's already been said in verse 7 where it said he emptied himself. He's emptied himself. He's humbled himself. Anything that Christ could have clung to or again grasped at, he did not. Instead, he becomes obedient here. He becomes obedient even to the point of death. He submitted to the Father's will for his life. Christ's whole life was, in, was lived in obedience to the Father, and that obedience would lead him to his death. Death on a cross, we're told. Christ humbled himself. He was obedient to the very point of death. He willingly suffered one of the most shameful deaths known to man. Now listen, if you and I were to stop here this morning, everything about this says failure. If we were just to look at verses 6 through 8, this is not a picture of a conquering king. This really looks like foolishness. So all we've seen so far is there was a king who came and humbled himself and emptied himself and then dies an embarrassing death. If this was the end of the story, this is foolish because right now nothing's been accomplished. And this is a good thing for us to see why we need to take the whole counsel of the scripture in. Because if we just take these three verses, we don't see a, a conquering king here. We see a king who lived a foolish life, who came and conquered nothing. It's embarrassing. But that's why we keep reading. That's why we keep looking. That's why we keep listening, because there's more. This isn't how the story ends. There's more, and there's a reason for this king to act this way. Why would this king act this way? 
We move on to verse 9. Therefore, God. Just two words and stops us in our tracks. Therefore, God. So because of everything that we just stated about Christ, because he emptied himself, because he took on the form of a servant, was in the likeness of men, because he humbled himself, became obedient even to the point of death on a cross, God highly exalted him. Because of all those things, God highly exalted him. God's act is a direct response to the obedience of Christ. We see here that God restores Christ to the status he had in the very beginning. That's before he humbled himself, before he emptied himself, before he took on the likeness of man. God restores Christ to that status he had at the very beginning. What did God do when he highly exalted Christ? Well, he gave him the name that's above every name. He gave him the title of Lord. And he's worthy to be called Lord because of his actions seen in verses 6 through 8. Because of all those things he did. He's completed his mission as a king to bring salvation to his people. We would ask the question here, why did he get the name that's above every name? Why did God give him the name that's above every name? Verse 10 tells us, so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Verse 11 tells us, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you remember all the way back at the beginning, the story of the the, the dude with the awesome name, Sanctus? This guy, Sanctus, died for his faith in Christ. His answer was, I'm a Christian. When asked any question, he said, I'm a Christian. You see, Sanctus saw how Jesus served him. He saw how Jesus became a servant so that he could become a son. And he replaced his identity as whatever he was before, as now a servant of Christ. He took on the identity of Christ. He no longer put his identity in anything else. No longer in his work. No longer in his, in his family. No longer in his accomplishments on the athletic field. No longer was it in anything else. He humbled himself and he became a servant of Christ. And in doing so, he claimed the name that was above every name. He bowed before Christ and confessed that Jesus is Lord. And through it, he brought glory to the Father. And that's a, that's a great picture for us. This is something that we should aspire to. But here's the thing. Like I had asked myself this, and I hope that you're asking yourself, like, do you believe that what Jesus did was for you? Sanctus believed that what Jesus did was absolutely for him, and it changed everything about him. So much so that he'd take his whole identity and place it in Christ. So much so that every question that was asked of him, he would answer, I am a Christian. Do you believe that what Jesus did was for you? That when Jesus emptied himself and became a servant, when he took on the form of a, of a man and became obedient to death on the cross, do you believe that it was for you? The truth is that Jesus has served you. The king of all kings that deserves for every need to bow, your tongue to confess that Jesus is Lord of all, has served you. Think about this more practically. If anybody else did the things for you that Christ has done for you, there's not a chance in the world that you would scoff at that or that you'd walk away. If you were walking down the street today and somebody came up behind you and pushed you out of the way of a bus and took that bus for themselves, there's no way that you'd look back at that person on the ground and say, right? You wouldn't do that. Like you would have to be the most arrogant human being to ever walk the face of the earth to look at the person who laid down their life for you and walk away. And say, I didn't need that. But we do. We do. Because we don't really believe that we needed saving. 
we don't really believe that we're that bad. We don't really believe that Christ needed to serve us. You see, what I've gotten really good at doing over the years, and probably what you've gotten really good at doing over the years, is looking at the people around you's sin and justifying your own when compared to them. Like when I look at you and I see your sin, I think, man, that dude's messed up. Like Christ needed to humble himself for that guy, not me. That guy, he, he needed it. And you know, the truth is that you probably do the same when you, you see my sin. You think, man, Christ needed to humble himself for that guy. That guy's a mess. And as I was thinking about that, it, it kind of re- reminded me of something that the, a Pharisee once said. The Pharisee's prayer said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. (laughs) Something funny happened this week when I was, even when I went to that passage of scripture, just honest with you, what I was trying to do was convict you through finding that passage of scripture and show you, you're that Pharisee. You're the one that's saying, thank God I'm not like other people. Thank God I'm not unjust. Thank God I'm not an adulterer. Thanks God, thank God I'm not a tax collector or an extortioner. Thanks that I'm not that guy or that girl. And as I was sitting in my office and typed that up, man, do you ever just read a passage of scripture and just hang your head? I did. Thursday afternoon as I was sitting in my office typing that up, man, God just convicted me. And all, I just found myself just staring at a screen and then I turned my chair and, and opened the window like that was going to do something like maybe thinking about jumping. Like, I was like, man, like, this is me. I do this. Thank God I'm not that person. Thank God I'm not in her situation or his situation. Thank God that I'm who I am and I'm not who that person is. <laughs> See, I didn't believe that I needed Christ to serve me. So what I began to do was look at the ways that Christ needed to serve everybody else around me, how Christ needed to serve you. So I was saying it with my mouth that I needed Christ to serve me, but I wasn't saying it with my life. It's not really what I believed. I came across another passage as, as my conviction with that was going on. And Peter tried to tell Christ one time that he didn't need Christ to serve him. Jesus, before his crucifixion, picks up a towel in a water basin and goes to the disciples, and he's going to wash their feet. And Peter says to Jesus, he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? And he goes on and he says, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. (laughs) As you and I read that this morning or or have read that in the past, there's no way we'd look at that and say, Peter was just being noble. (laughs) No, Peter's being foolish. Peter's saying, I'm not dirty. I don't need you to wash my feet. Don't do that. Don't lower yourself to do this for me. What Peter's not doing is Peter isn't looking down at his own feet. If Peter was to look down at his own feet, he'd probably see some fungus. He'd probably see some busted toenails. He'd probably see some caked up mud, or at least he hopes it's mud, right? Like he probably would have seen that, but Peter doesn't. Peter says, no, you'll never wash my feet. Listen to what Jesus said in response. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. The New Living Translation put it this way. It said, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. 
So what did Peter do? Well, Peter did what all of we do, all of us do, right? Peter pulled out of his little tunic pocket, right? He pulled out his list and he was like, no, Christ, here's the ways that I have, that I'm a good person. Here's all the good things that I've done. Here's where I served. Here's where I uh, helped my neighbor. Here's where I mowed some grass. Here's where I, I did all these things, right? Christ, I did all this stuff. Look, I'm not that bad. I don't need you to serve me. I don't, no, no, no. You don't have to do this. And then Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, I guess you're right. (laughs) You've been pretty good. No, that's not what happens at all. It's not what happens at all. Peter responds and says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. You see, there are two ways that Peter could have responded here. Peter could have said, no, I don't need you to serve me in that way and walked off. Or he could say, oh, Lord, wash all of me. You see, one of those answers brings death while the other brings life. For Peter to say, no, Jesus, don't serve me in this way would have brought death to Peter's life. And when you and I say the same thing, when we say, no, Jesus, I don't need you to do this for me, we continue on in death. But when we recognize that we, in fact, do need to be served, we say, Lord, wash all of me. And it brings life. If we, were, if we refuse to admit that we're broken, if we refuse to admit that we're unclean, then you have no need of Christ to serve you and you have no Christ in, excuse me, you have no life in Christ. Jesus came as a king, but his posture was that of a servant. He didn't come to be served for Christ needs nothing. We're told that he had all those things at his disposal. He didn't need anything from us. He came to serve because we needed everything he had. That's the kind of king Jesus is. He sees our utter despair. He sees us as absolutely, helplessly, hopelessly bankrupt. But Jesus provided us with everything that we need as a servant who laid down his life so we could have life. We need a king like Jesus. We need a king who gives life. Jesus is life giving. This king humbles himself, takes on the form of a servant. So we who are slaves to sin, we're slaves to another kingdom. We're slaves to grasping we might be set free to serve God. Second Corinthians two chapter eight, verse nine says it this way. For, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for our sake became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Ephesians two says it a little bit differently. It says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what strike us a little bit. Who did Jesus come to serve? He came to serve people that were dead in their trespasses and sins. Jesus didn't come to serve just needy people here. Jesus didn't come to like give a life jacket or give a parachute or lend us a helping hand. Jesus came to serve dead people. Dead people don't need a parachute. Dead people can't cling to to a life preserver. Dead people need life in their lungs. They need breath that Jesus breathes. Jesus didn't come just to give us a helping hand. Jesus came to give us life. Listen to how John 10, 9 through 12 says it. It says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. This is our king. He came to us when we were dead and served us by giving his life for ours. This is good news. So a question we should move to, a question that we should ask is, how do people act in response to such a king? 
Or how would a person live if they really believed they needed to be served by Christ? If we really saw ourselves as dead, how would a person live if they really believed they needed to be served by Christ? What if everything I did flowed from my identity in Christ as a servant? This again is where we look back at the fullness of Scripture. If you remember when we read today, we didn't just read uh, Philippians 2, 6 through 11. We read 1 through 5 as well. So if you still have your Bible open or a thumb in it, turn back to Philippians chapter 2 and let's look backwards a bit. Verse 5 in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Have this mind among yourselves. What mind? This is the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ that that he had in verses 6 through 8 in Philippians. A mind that humbles ourselves, a mind that willingly serves, a mind that is obedient to the Father. Having the very mind of Christ. In response to that, we look back to verse 4. Look each of look each of you, sorry, let each of you look not only at his own interest, but on, but also to the interest. <laughs> interests of others. Listen, this passage of scripture or this verse, this text of scripture here makes it very clear that you and I are in fact going to look out for our own interests. But at the same time, we need to be looking out for the interests of other people. Do you know the needs of the people around you? Do you know the needs of the people in your missional community? Do you know the needs of your family? Do you know the people around you that can't make their house payment? Do you know the people around you who need groceries? What about the people around you that need diapers? Like, what do you have? What do you do when you have extra? Do you look for ways to serve others? Or do you look for ways to serve yourself? Maybe even a little more practical for you. Like, what about when you have a decision to make at home that might affect your neighbors? Who are you looking to serve in the midst of that? Who do you know that's lonely and needs to be invited over for dinner? Do you know who needs an encouraging text? Do you know who needs prayer? Looking out for the needs of others. This is what happens when we take on the mind of Christ. We're not just worried about our own needs and our own wants and our own desires. Now we're thinking about others. This is exactly what Christ did for us. Christ didn't think about his own needs. He thought about us and knew exactly what we needed. Verse 3 furthers the point. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Listen, this is another point for me that, that I struggle with. Like, I don't mind serving people. And most of you probably don't mind serving people either. Like, if somebody needs a tool, I'm more than willing to give them a tool. If somebody needs a meal, I'm more than willing to have my wife cook them up a meal, right? If you need your grass mode, I'll do it, or I have an, an 11-year-old son who will do it, right? Like, if you need help moving, cool, I know people to call, right? Like, if you need help building something, I'll, I'll, I'll gladly do my best. I'll help. I like, I, I like serving in those ways. I enjoy serving in those ways. Like, I, I just, I, I don't know. Like, maybe I picked that up somewhere, but I don't have trouble with those things. But what I do have trouble with is when I'm treated like a servant. See, I don't mind serving you. I don't mind when you need your grass mode. I don't mind when you need a, a meal, but I do mind when you expect those things from me. Because when you need a meal, when you need a, a tool, when you, like, when you need something, like you need me. And I'm fine with that. But listen, when you expect those things from me, 
when you, you just tell me to do them, now you're in control. And now I'm really uncomfortable. This played out for me in my house just a couple weeks ago. Like, here's the question. Like, why would I struggle with you expecting something from me? So here goes. So just a few weeks ago, I was in my house. It was just me and the boys there. Alicia was coaching a class down at the gym. She comes home from the gym. She, we, we greet each other. Hey, how are you? She looks at the sink and she says, you didn't wash the dishes? <laughs> all the guys in the room laughed. All the ladies were like, why don't you do it? And I said what all the guys in the room were thinking. I said, you didn't ask me to wash the dishes. <laughs> I thought it was valid. <laughs> and then she said something really cool. She said, I didn't know I had to. <laughs> like, what do you say? And I was like, really? You didn't know you had, like, you know me. 12 years we've been married now. Like, you knew me. Like, you knew you, like... Listen, in that moment, everything inside of me was saying, of course you have to ask. Like, I'm not some hired hand around here. Like, I need you to tell me you love me and that I'm pretty. Like, I don't want to do dishes. (laughs) I'm not here to do chores. What I was thinking in that moment was this. I am way too significant to serve you in this way. I'm way too significant to serve you in this way. You know, honestly, the most beneficial thing for me to do would have been to serve my wife and my family by washing the dishes. So don't think that this servant piece is just something that you do outside of your home. For many of us, especially the men in the room, we would do well to start serving our wives and our family, maybe even by doing something small like washing the dishes. This is exactly what Paul says to the men in Ephesians when he says, men are called to lay down their lives for their wives like Christ did for the church. Paul is saying, serve your wife like Christ has served you. You're not too good to wash dishes. You just don't like the way you're treated when you're expected to wash the dishes. And the same thing is true of servanthood. You're not too good to serve. You just don't like the way it feels when somebody expects you to serve. Look at verses 1 and 2 here still in Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in one accord and of one mind. Since we are one with Christ through the spirit, we are to act as one. And the question will be like, how do we do that? Well, the same mind that Christ had is yours in Christ Jesus. All of these things are possible because Jesus gives us a new identity. This is what Jesus did when he served us on the cross. It means, that, it means that we as believers are no longer slaves to sin, but now servants of righteousness. We're no longer slaves to our own importance, but we're free to serve others as a way of life. We've been adopted by a loving father and no longer live under the cruel taskmaster of trying to create and keep up our own identities. Think about the things you do to keep up your identity Why can't you just take a picture and post it on Facebook without adding a filter to it? You're keeping up an identity. Why can't our kids just be a mess when we're out in public? You're trying to keep up an identity. 
Just yesterday, we were at High V. My, my oldest son's in his baseball uniform. My youngest son's been watching him play baseball all day. He's tired of it. They're chasing themselves around the aisles of High V. And my wife and I are just ignoring them. Like, we're like, we don't, those kids need a, need a father figure. You know, like, we're like, <laughs> I, I don't even know whose they are. Like, we'll take them. We'll take them. They need someone, right? And we're walking out of the store, and this older gentleman came up to us, and he said, you got two fine young men. And I was thinking, <laughs> <laughs> did you just see them? And he actually said, he said, I saw them running around. I saw how they were having fun. And I saw how you didn't yell at them for it. And I was like, yes, like, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) It's my identity right there. I'm a good dad. See, I didn't yell at them. I didn't scream. And I don't have to cling to that. And you don't have to cling to that because we're found in Christ. We have a new identity that frees us from clinging and frees us from creating our own identities. Another struggle you might have in the room, maybe for some of you that that aren't believers or or maybe just you're not believing very well, like why on earth would I want to be a servant? Why would I want to be a servant? That's the last thing I would want to do. I don't want to serve anybody. I want for people to serve me. And you're right, but what you're not realizing is, isn't that its own kind of slavery? Like you need people to tell you who you are. You need people to complete you. You need people to think well about you. In fact, some of us are obsessed with ourself so much so that we can't leave the house in sweatpants. We can't leave the house without our hair done up. We can't leave the house a mess because we we're so concerned about people thinking well of us. We're so concerned with our identity. We never post any embarrassing stuff to social media. We only post the good, perfect stuff about us. We're always thinking about how can I get ahead? How can I have the next best thing? How can I look better or feel better about myself? Like, what do I need that would just be the thing that would complete me, right? I need the pool in my backyard. I need the newest phone. I need the newest technology. I need the shoes. I need the hat. I need the stuff. We're working really, really, really hard to get people to serve us and to get things to serve us. Those people and those things were never created to give you your identity, They're good gifts given by a good father that we are turning and sinning and using them as things to find our identity in. That's not why we have them. These things weren't created to serve you. And if that were it, that'd be awful news. Like, what do we do with that? Like, okay, I feel feel sad now. Like, let's go celebrate Memorial Day. Yay. But that's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus, the king of the universe, the most meaningful person that has ever or will ever walk the face of the planet, left his mansion in heaven, put on a servant's robe, and came to serve you. And not just in superficial ways like giving you all that stuff you want, like giving you the new phone, the new technology, the new shoes, kids that behave. He didn't come to just give you superficial stuff by making your life a little bit more comfortable. No, no, no. Jesus came to give you a whole new life, a whole new you. A totally new identity that frees you from needing to be made much of. He served us by living the life that we should have lived. Joel said it in his prayer. Jesus was selfless. He was humble. He was kind and always thinking about the other person. Jesus was everything you aren't. Jesus was everything that I am not. He's everything that God expects of us. But then he took it a million steps further. By dying a death on the cross that we deserved. We want to make the world about us. 
We want to use God to make us more comfortable. That's manipulation. That's trying to manipulate God. That's sin. And we see all through scripture that that sin deserves death. But the perfect servant son of God comes to this earth and takes our place and dies the brutal death on the cross for selfish, self-obsessed, obsessed people like us. Listen, when we see this, when we see ourselves as the people needing to be served, when we realize that what Jesus did was for us, this should change us. In fact, it does change us. It changes us into a servant. You see how he served you, and now you serve others. It should change your mind, and it literally gives us the mind that led Christ. The mind that allowed Christ to empty himself, to humble himself, to take on the form of a servant. We have that. See, being a slave to Christ or a servant to Christ is life-giving. It's true freedom. I don't have to be served anymore because Jesus served me perfectly. I don't have to look to you or my neighbor or TV or magazines or any books to serve me. Jesus has already done that. I don't have to be made much of anymore because Jesus made much of me when he gave his life for mine on the cross. That's good news. That's what the gospel is. I'm free to be nothing because I'm so loved by God. I'm free to simply say, I'm a Christian when you ask me about myself. Because I no longer seek my identity in other things. I'm free to give up my resources because they do not give me my identity. Jesus does. When we were singing this morning, go on and scream it from the mountains. Tell it to the masses that he is God. Not that you are God, that he is God. Go on, scream it from the mountains. Like I wanted to like just keep going, like yell it. But then I was like, that's, that's a little too Pentecostal for me, right? Like I need to get back down in my bubble. But, but it should do that for us. It should free us to say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a slave to Christ. It means I'm free to spend a few extra hours meeting the needs of others because Jesus has met all my needs on the cross. I've been so excellently served by Christ, I gladly serve others. The statement of I'm a servant of Christ is a life-changing statement. We're now free to serve those that can offer us nothing. We are free to be those that are a tangible, that means touchable expression to the love that God has for his people. As God's people, we can express God's love for others through our acts of service. What God has done to you, God now desires to do through you. For those of you in the room today that, that don't know Christ, you haven't trusted in this king who, is, who has served you perfectly, I hope that you hear this morning that there is a king who has come not to impose more work on your life, but entered into your plight and purchased you, bought you back He sacrificed his life for yours. And this king, he doesn't force himself upon you. But I will say that when you realize who this king is, when you recognize that he has served you perfectly, you won't be able to resist him. It causes you to lay those things down. As we continue this morning, I pray that you will hear a message of what redemption does to a people. In closing today, I want to show us maybe just a few practical examples that what a redeemed people do. I want to use basically the same slide that Justin used last week, only I changed the letter M to the letter S. It was very creative, I know. 
as Justin said last week concerning being a missionary, a missionary is not an add-on to our life. Like, it's not life plus mission. It's No, it's life as a missionary. And the same is true of servanthood. It's not all the things you already do in your life plus servanthood. It's life as a servant. So much so that when we do all these other things, we are being a servant in them. Like when we listen to people, we're serving them. I've worked for students, I've worked with students for the last 10 years uh, that I've been in ministry. And if there's one one thing I know about students is they need an advocate. They need somebody to listen to them. And the same thing is true of adults. Adults, we don't have many people that will just listen to us. Do you know what I mean? Like not a person who will sit across the table from you and give you advice, but somebody who will just listen. Listen, we serve people well when we just listen to them. When we can be a safe place, when we can be an ear that hears them in the midst of their troubles. When we celebrate, we can serve people. We give good gifts. We serve people in that way. And I'm not saying you need to go out and buy super expensive things. Like you can create something. You can make something. You know, one of, one of our favorite things to do around our house is just make handwritten cards. People don't get handwritten stuff anymore. When was the last time you got a handwritten letter in the mail that didn't say you owe me money? Right? Like people respond well to that. It's a way to serve people by celebrating with them. All of these eat. You're going to eat all week long. Why not serve somebody else with a meal as well? Blessing people, serve people through blessing them, recreate, and you can serve people through the way that you live your life. You've got an extra ticket to the game. Cool. Grab somebody and bring them with you. You got an extra ticket to the concert. I know that cute girl or that cute guy really wants to go serve somebody with it. Use the resources that God's given you, not just to make more of yourself, but to serve people around you. These are all tangible ways. Is there more? You know, and also let me say this, in the midst of this, I also want to say this, that it's okay for you to be served by the people around you as well. This could come off very much as like, hey, you're responsible for being the savior of the people around you, and that's not true. Jesus is their savior, not you. You're just showing Jesus. You know what? You can show Jesus by being, by being a person who needs something. Like, you might need your grass mode, and your neighbor might be able to do that, and that's okay to go to that person. Yeah, we should go to our family and we can go to our family, but it's okay to use the resources of the people around you. Like my neighbor has a snowblower and I do not. I'd be very foolish in the winter just to shovel the driveway by myself when that dude over there has got like an 800 horsepower like thing going on, right? I, I can allow him to serve me. I don't have to just serve them. I think it was way before I even joined the staff at Sacred City, I sat down with Tim and Terry Adams and I think that was probably the first time I ever heard that. They said, you know, it's okay for people to serve you. I was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. It, it, but I didn't think that way. I believed that I was put in my neighborhood just to serve the people around me. And it's okay to need a snowblower from your neighbor. It's okay to need some things. Maybe you could, you could use a line, right? Like if your neighbor can serve you in some way, that may be a good foot in the door. Maybe you could tell them how they remind you of Jesus in their service, that they're, they're doing something for you that you couldn't do for yourself, and Jesus did the same thing for you. I don't know, that might be a a cliche line or you're like, that was a bit of a stretch, but get your foot in the door. These are all ways in which we can serve. So it's not life plus servanthood. It's life as a servant. We see ourselves as these people. What the life of a servant means is that we look around ourselves. We consider where God has placed us and the others with us. Then we ask the question, does this look like Jesus' kingdom? Are the hungry fed? Are the naked clothed? Are the broken brought to health? 
This is why every single one of our missional communities here at Sacred City is on mission to a group of people here in the Quad Cities. If you're in a missional community, that community is on mission to a group of people. We serve areas like family services. Some help at uh, Hope at the Brick House. Others at Safe Families. Others at Youth Hope. Some with 180. Some have served at the RME, the River Music Experience, setting up and tearing down chairs on Friday nights. You'll find others adopting local schools. Most recently, Garfield Elementary School, just right down the, the road from us, has been adopted by one of our MCs. Others have served with the Davenport Parks Board, and that's not even all of them. Those are ways that you can be on mission as a servant. They're already built into what we do. It's not something extra. It's already there. And why would we serve? Why would we do all these things? Because we're bringing Christ into this city to renew it. And a servant is about his master's work. Our master's work is being a disciple who makes disciples. We look to serve those that God has brought into our life. Will we serve perfectly? No, but we don't have to serve perfectly because Christ has served perfectly for us on our behalf. That's, that frees us to go serve and know that we are not Jesus. We are representing the one who has served perfectly. So as we go to prayer this morning, let me ask you this last question. What if everything I did flowed from my identity as a servant of Christ? What if everything I did flowed from my identity as a servant of Christ? Let's pray. Father, today as we've looked at your word, as we looked at how you have served us perfectly, how you humbled yourself, how you emptied yourself, how you uh, took on the form of a servant, left your mansion, put on a servant's robe, and then died a death on a cross for us, a death that we deserved. Father, I pray that that would humble us. I pray that we wouldn't be so arrogant to say that we don't need you to serve us, but we'd see our need. We'd see that as we're looking around for everything else to serve us, that we're really a slave to our sin, and that, that's, that sin leads to death. But Father, when we trust in you and your finished work on the cross, we don't have to be slaves to sin any longer. Now we're servants of the one who has bought us back. We're servants to the one who has served us. Free to be people who don't cling to the things of this world. Free to be people who give up our resources for those around us that are doing without God, I pray today that we would see ourselves as a servant of Christ and so much so that when people ask us about ourselves, we, we could answer, I'm a Christian. I'm a servant of Christ. We're going to be tempted to want to tell people what we do. We're going to want to be tempted to tell people about all of our accomplishments. But Father, may we be content in simply saying, I'm a Christian. I'm a servant of Christ, the one who served me perfectly. The one who did for me what no one else would do the one who left a place of perfection to come and die a death for me. And we would own that identity and we would live out of it and be free to do so. God, today as we participate in communion, as we participate in the Lord's Supper, may we be reminded of the work that you've done for us. May we be overflowed by your presence here with us today. As your covenant people, as your family of missionary servant learners. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.